All right, it is that time every week we get in the cage here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino and get a chance to speak to a man who everybody in the state of Washington certainly is familiar with. And if you're an MMA fan, you're familiar with him. And I can't believe this is his debut on this show, but he is here, everybody. The one, the only, the Maverick, Michael Chiesa is with us. How are you, man? Doing good, man. It's, uh, it's good to finally make it on the show. Um, you know, I'm out here in, uh, I'm out here in Oklahoma commentating for Legacy Fighting Alliance. And we actually got another, uh, we got a West Side native. We got Jake Sebastian from Olympia fighting on the card, too. So, okay. Washington mixed martial arts, yeah. Now, you, you before the UFC, you fought in cage sport. Did you did you fight at the Emerald Queen, or were, did that take place somewhere else? Nope. That was my last fight before I got the UFC was uh, Emerald Queen Casino. I think it was in October, November of 2011. Okay. Yeah. It's just amazing to see how, how rich the, the MMA uh, you know environment is out here and how many people have, have moved on to different promotions and done really well. Obviously, you being being one of the main ones and I'll ask you about that but I got to get your fight I got to get you got to put your analyst hat on I got to I got to pick your brain about the card coming up this weekend which a lot of people are really excited about uh is there a fight outside of the main event and I, and I love asking analysts this because they'll always pick out a fight that, that, that the casual fan isn't so focused on but one that you're looking at going man there should be more eyes on this matchup this is going to be a matchup for the ages or one that you're really looking forward to that people aren't talking about uh, you know, the co-main event's going to be really good. Uh, Vicente Luque versus Tyron Woodley. You know, and um, obviously those are two guys in my weight class. So, I, you know, I'm always paying close attention to them. But, um, you know, this is a big step up for Luque in terms of getting another shot at a guy, you know, that's beyond the top ten. Uh, you know, he's super tough coming out of Stanford MMA. And Woodley, as we know, one of the most dominant welterweight champions uh, we've ever seen in, in this era. And then, you know, you got Sean O'Malley, who's a fairly polarizing guy himself, fighting Thomas Almeida. And Thomas Almeida at one point was billed as, like, the next big thing to get signed to the UFC. He got signed with, like, a 19-0 and record, and he was just wrecking guys outside of the UFC. So I think this is going to be a really fun striking battle. And, you know, Sean O'Malley's only from a few states over from us. He's a Montana kid. So, um, you know, so I think those are two, those are going to be two really, really fun fights. And, you know, obviously, everybody loves a heavyweight main event with yeah. the title on the line. Find out who's <laughs> the baddest man on the planet. That's that, you know, that's the one I'm looking forward to most. Those are the main events. Well, let, let me ask you about Woodley, and it is in your in your weight division as, as a welterweight, but he is a guy, you're right. I, I I used to feel bad, like, man, this guy doesn't get credit, and, and people would get on him because they thought he was boring in his fight with Damian Maya, and he was just winning. He was just finding ways to win. But he's on a three-fight losing streak, and he's looked – I, I think it's fair to say he's looked uninspired in in all three of those fights where he just I don't know what was missing. There was that that fire, that intensity, that urgency. I don't know what it is, but what what have you seen from him in those three fights? Because he he looks just mentally, physically, he looks to be you know he looks like an action figure. He looks like, like he always does, but he just doesn't look right to me. What are you seeing? Well, for a guy in his late thirties, he looks like he's he looks younger than me. I mean, from a physique standpoint, the guy's still in phenomenal shape. But, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's a motivation thing. He didn't look inspired. Um, you know, the, when you go against a guy like Kamaru Usman, you know, there wasn't a lack of motivation or inspiration in that fight. That just happened to be – that was a passing of the torch fight. As we've seen how Kamaru has grown into the champion he's become, that was not any type of – there was nothing that Woodley did wrong in that fight. He just fought a guy that was really, really good. Now you move on to the fights with Gilbert Burns. Um the Gilbert Burns fight, I feel like he might have overlooked Gilbert a little bit. I think that 
he thought that, you know, this is a former lightweight, you know, didn't really think much of it. And, um, and, and I just don't think, I just think he overlooked Gilbert Burns a lot. And, and Burns, he showed that he, the guy's a buzzsaw. And with the Colby fight, that, that is when the, the, un, the uninspired, unmotivational, that the, the type of performance we got out of him was that one. That was the fight that, that stood out to me in terms of him lacking the fire with that Colby fight. Cause you know, I, Colby didn't fight like his normal self. Colby didn't go put a ton of pressure on him and put a bunch of volume on him in those early rounds. You know, and Tyron, he, 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 I feel like he could have won that fight. I feel like he just wasn't pulling the trigger. And, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to believe him when he says that he's found the motivation in this fight and he's got the fire back because he said it a few times before. But if he can do that, if he can be motivated this fight, it's a very winnable matchup for him. Um, he just, this is not the fight. He, he could get seriously hurt this fight if he fights on his heels. Vincente Luque, if he gets in the pocket against you, he's going he's gonna to blow right through your defense. He's going to land power shots. And if, if Woodley's not motivated this fight, he could pay the price. You know, it's interesting to hear you say, you know, maybe overlook Burns or, you know, just the idea of any fighter stepping into that cage. And I give respect to anybody that has the guts to do it. That just takes a different person like yourself to get in there and, and lock that cage door behind you and do battle, which makes it feel weird that you could just kind of go in there and overlook somebody like, nah, this is going to be easy, a walk in the park. I mean, you're wearing those small gloves. Anything could happen with one shot. So it just feels like you, you're you just always on point, that that adrenaline is always pumping. The idea that you go in there sort of flat it seems counterintuitive. Have you ever had a moment like that in the cage where you just weren't inspired or you felt like, nah, I got this, and it was a rougher night than you expected? Yeah, you know, I, um, I've had, you know, the, I'd say the Pettis fights I felt a little bit off. You know, that was the fight where I missed, missed weight, the most embarrassing moment of my career. And, um you know, I was trying to pump myself up in the back room and it was really kind of, uh, it was freaking out my corner man and my coaches. Cause I'm usually not like that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very intense, you know, when I'm in the back room, I'm getting pumped up and stuff, but I was just saying some things that they, like, I was trying to trying to throw gas on the fire, but the wood was wet, you know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't igniting. So, uh, you know, and I paid the price that fight and there was a lot of moving parts to it, but, um, Nonetheless, I've never really had a problem getting pumped up to get out and getting a scrap. I mean, it's just, it's just talking about it with you makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. So, uh, but I would say that that was probably the only time I've had any type of similar situation where I was just something just wasn't there. I was lacking, lacking the heat that I needed. Yeah, yeah. So, which uh, before I move on, which which way are you leaning in that fight between Luke a and Woodley? You know. Um, I'm leaning Luke. I think that uh, he's got the momentum, and it's one thing to be on a, a three-fight losing streak, but it's another when you've lost every round of those fights. I mean, he Woodley. It's it's that's that's what le- makes me lean towards Luke. Is Woodley didn't hasn't won a single round in his last three fights, and yeah. that, that that's worrisome, you know. And may the best man win. But I'm leaning Luke. All right, let me let me ask you about the other guy you brought up, and that's Sean O'Malley, who I was I was really into his story, Michael. I was really into him, and then, man, his his reaction to losing to Vera and and really sort of discrediting him, saying, "Oh, he, he caught me with his toe and it hit my nerve," and he de- I'm still undefeated, and and I mean, I get it, I get that he, he's sort of embracing the villain role, which you know Colby has done, and and Connor and Chael and people have done to to great effect, certainly, but. I don't know. There was something about the way he handled that loss that sort of turned me off, and he has become very polarizing with some of the other things he said. Where, where are you at with him as a personality? Do you do you 
as a fighter and you're you're competing with these guys that are your peers, you you understand better than anybody the need to sort of get out there with this persona and it gets people either rooting for you, rooting against you, but they're going to tune in. Is do you embrace that or is there a part of you that looks at that and goes, "Oh, come on, man. It's it's unnecessary." Where are you at with that that sort of persona? Uh I'm not the biggest fan of it, honestly. You know, I I understand the the showman side of the sport, you know, the, the business side of the sport where you're wanting to sell fights and sell a brand and build uh, narratives and things like that. Um, but with Sean, I just, I know him on a personal level and it's just not who he is. Um, he, he's a pretty quiet kid, fairly humble. Um, you know, and, and as he's after the verify, you know, I just feel like maybe, maybe it's not a persona. Maybe this is how he feels, you know, and, and, uh, I, I think he's a heck of an athlete. I think he's a great fighter, but I think that you don't grow. And I know this for a fact. And the, you know, ninety-nine point nine nine percent of fighters would attest to this. I think the point oh one might be Sean O'Malley, but uh, yeah, um, you, you learn from your losses, and you have to embrace them. You have to acknowledge them, and you have to accept them for what they are. You know, I, I have a loss on my own record that was that was hard to come to terms with, where you know I had bad intervention in, in my first main event. You know, but I, I wouldn't grow from it if I didn't acknowledge the things I could have done better. And I think that that's where that's that's what could come back to bite Sean in the butt is the fact that he's not acknowledging the loss and the fact he's just kind of writing it off as a fluke. You need to go back and watch the film and understand that there's things he did wrong that led to that sequence. Yeah. You know, so whether he got caught with a toe, a shin, a foot, regardless, he could have just not gotten hit if he would have be. There's things he could have improved on to where that wouldn't have happened. So, um, I think it's a big mistake to, to continue this undefeated stick and, and being pretty adamant that that was a fluke because I don't think that I, I don't think that's part of a persona or a narrative. I think he really believes that, and I think that that could be very problematic for him down the road. Um, you don't you, you you don't grow from your wins; you grow from your losses. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very well put. But it, it feels like in in Thomas Almeida, he's got an opponent that's sort of tailor made for him coming off a situation of adversity where. You know, Almeida's a guy who's lost four of his last five fights. He's a small, he's 5'7". O'Malley's listed at 11. He's he's just going to have that reach and size advantage over a guy who's been losing quite a bit lately. I mean, unless Sean is not focused and not on his game, it, it feels like it's heavily in his favor in this fight. Would you agree with that? I mean, I would say Sean's definitely the favorite, and um, I am pulling for him. Like I said, regardless of what he's doing now, he's a young guy. And uh, I, you know, that doesn't change the fact that you know I think he's heck of a, he's a heck of he's a good person, heck of a fighter. But Thomas Almeida, he's lost four of his last five. He's coming off he had a, he detached his retina, put him out for a long time, and he just fought on five islands uh, last October. And in that fight, we started to see the glimpses of Thomas Almeida in the third round where it became too little too late. You know, he, he, he lost the first two rounds of the fight, wins the third. But in that third round, we saw the glimpses of what Tom, Tom, made Thomas Almeida such a great fighter, such a heralded prospect. And some of his losses were to against studs. Like Rob Font is in the top five of the UFC now. So right. some of those losses have aged very well. Um, this is not going to be a pushover fight for Sean. He very well could go out. If, if Sean wins, it's going to be a knockout. That's just how it is. If this fight goes three rounds, don't be surprised to see it sway more in Almeida's favor as this fight goes on. Hmm. Uh, you know he's going to attack the legs. 
You know, he's from Shootbox. That's a t- that's that's a, a staple to that style. To where guys going forward are going to start implementing leg kicks into their game plans when you fight Sean O'Malley. Well, Thomas Almeida has been kicking legs since he was, you know, probably ten years old. So um, it's it's not as easy for a matchup as for O'Malley as one might think. But I think it's going to be fireworks. I think it's going to be a really fun fight. Have the calf kicks become more? talked about in in light of the the matchup with with conor mcgregor and poirier it seems like all of a sudden people look at it as like it's this new thing that people are doing and oh my goodness these calf kicks and i'm thinking these have been around forever i mean i remember you know michael chandler and you know famously he had that dead foot after he was kicking taking calf kicks and and you know his fight was ended because of that i mean it's not it's not necessarily a new phenomenon is that something that's that you think is on people's radar now because of Connor, or how do, how do you sort of explain why people are, it's such a huge talking point all of a sudden? Well, it's becoming a talking point because you're seeing more high level fights, um, have the Catholics be a big part of the result, um, being Connor and Poirier, like the, the highlight of all of them. But I mean, guys at the MMA lab have been doing that forever. Um, Sam Cecilia fought Yachty Mesa, um, and Sam Cecilia is a Washington native, as everybody knows. Yeah. Um, but he fought Yachty Meza out of the lab in 2014 or 2015. And, dude, he was chopping at Sam's Castle fight. And even two years before that, we went training at the lab and they were doing it. But I think the fight that stands out to me where I really, really saw where calf kicks can play a role in a fight and, and really, really be such a punishing type of offense is when Gilbert Melendez fought Edson Barboza in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Gilbert Melendez's leg hasn't been the same since. And, uh, you know, I'm not even going to try to to explain what my physical therapist told me. So I asked him, I go, dude, tell me about what is the anatomy of a calf kick? What does it do to you? And then a lot of it has to do with there's the layer of fascia over your calf muscle is a lot thinner than other parts of your body. So it's really easy to get through the fascia and really get to the muscle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a dangerous weapon and it's hard to check. You know, it's, it's a, it can be you're starting to see guys that people are picking up to the calf kick trend and stepping in and countering people when they when they throw them naked without strikes in front of them. But the guys that do it right, it's a devastating strike and it's definitely a big trend in the sport right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Jose Aldo was doing the all he'd beat the whole leg up. He wouldn't focus just on the calf. But you remember Uriah Faber's leg looked like a tree trunk at the end. It was so swollen and destroyed from Jose Aldo back in the day. So it's just interesting to hear it be such a uh, such a talking point these days. But uh, obviously, in light of Poirier and, and Connor, I guess it makes some level of sense. Let me let me get your take on the main event here: Stipe versus Francis Ngannou and I just went back and watched their first matchup uh, the other night, Michael, and it was it was so interesting to see Ngannou in there. I mean, to call him one-dimensional would be an understatement in that fight. I mean, he came out, let me just throw the big bombs as hard as I can, and he was gassed by the end of the first round. The fact that that, that fight went as long as it did was amazing because he was exhausted in that first round, and I don't know if he had an adrenaline dump, if it was the spotlight got to him. I don't know. Uh, what's your take on that first matchup and, and how it relates to this? Is there does Stipe hold that mental advantage having that win? How do you how do you see that coming into play, if at all, in the rematch? Well, first of all, Francis hasn't been in the sport a, a very long time, um, so I think the spotlight could have very well got to him. Um, you know, maybe it could have been a preparation thing. You know, to be a guy that's that big and physical and his body, he's just so muscular. That, that takes a particular type of training camp to, to be able to prepare the body to go the distance. Um, 
And I, and I, I, I can see just from the weigh-in today that he has addressed that. Francis weighed in the same way he did for his first fight with Steve but he looks a lot leaner. He looks a lot more trimmed down. Um, so I think that's going to benefit him in the fight. But, you know, the first matchup, really, it, it tells the story of what makes Stipe such a great champion is Stipe has the one of the high, in my opinion, one of the highest fight IQs in the sport. And I don't think he gets a lot of respect for that. If you see the way he wins his fights, it's different every time. And it's always addressing what his opponent does wrong and he does it well. He got, you know, when he, when he won the title and he got Horatio Verdun to run into that straight right hand, you know, that, that was a big part of the game plan. When you see the way he handled uh, DC the last two fights, that was that was all that was all based on fight IQ and preparation, and he's a guy that will stay the course. It's it's easy to tell. It's easy to instruct a fighter on the game plan. It's it's hard to get them to stay the course once the punches start flying. You know, it's it guys deviate from from the preparation sometimes. And Stipe is not the guy to do that. He's very disciplined and he's very smart. Now going into this fight, it, it's a, it, it's the physique thing that, that I think makes this very interesting. Francis weighing in at the same weight, but looking a lot leaner. He's a lot more defined. And you look at Stipe. Stipe came into this fight uh, significantly lighter. Like, that was part of his plan. Is he wants to be a lot lighter because he's going to have to move a lot. He's in that small octagon at the apex. It's a 25-footer compared to the 30. And that kind of that is tailor-made for a guy like Francis Ngannou, a small space where he can track you down and land big punches. So Stipe, being the, being the smart fighter he is, addressed that by become, coming into this fight a lot lighter so it's easier for him to be more mobile. And I think that that is going to – that you get Francis to miss. doesn't matter how you prepare. You miss big punches, it saps your life bar. So I think this fight could potentially go down the exact same way the first one went, but when it's two heavyweights locked in an octagon – Expect the unexpected. Expect knockouts. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, and, and the one thing we've seen, Michael, is Stipe does take shots, and he's got a great chin. He took shots in their first matchup. He took a lot of shots against uh, DC in their three matchups against Junior Dos Santos. He's so he's a guy who's who's there to be hit, and he's been able to take it to this point. But with a guy like Ngannou, you never know when that when that trend comes to an end. So yeah, I I can't wait to see this fight. Before I let you go, I got to ask you about you because. You've been on a tear. You've won four in a row after and you touched on the Pettis loss. That was your last loss. You lost to, to Kevin Lee before that, and then you you knock out four in a row or win four in a row, I should say. And I love the call out. I love the call out of Colby Covington. The election's over. And and just calling him out. And it would do my heart good, and probably a lot of MMA fans, their hearts good as well, to see him take another beating the way Usman put on him. And if it were you, that'd be spectacular. What do you what do you think the reality of that fight is coming together in terms of you know, I know he's he's got other you know, he wants Maz Vidal, he wants he wants Usman again, he wants these other people. how realistic is it do you think you could could be in the cage with Colby fairly soon? Well, there's definitely a, a big bid going on for it. And, um, you know, I'm not a guy to get on social media anymore and talk crap. And, uh, you know, I, I do my call outs in the octagon. And then outside of that, you know, I kind of let my manager handle the business because at this point it gets very political when you get into the top five of a, div- of a division. Um, so I, I'd say there's still a chance I get the Colby fight. And what there's no better fight to make. Let's find out who the toughest guy in the Northwest, toughest welterweight, because the toughest guy in the Northwest is Demetrius Johnson. Give respect, right. dude. Demetrius is the goat. But <laughs> right. let's find out who's the best welterweight fighter in the Northwest. Let's Oregon versus Washington. It's a fight that makes sense. Style. He he has to win one more before he gets to a title fight. That's just the reality of it. So whether it's me, whether it's Burns, 
it's got to be one of us. Could be Leon. Um, you know, it's kind of a rat race for us in the top five, but all of us have our sights set on Colby. We all want to be the guy to shut him up. Um, there's a difference between talking crap and promoting fights and just being an a-hole. And he's just, he's a jerk. He says a lot of things that offend a lot of people. And, um, there's a, we're all, we're all in line to, to, to get a shot at shutting the guy up. But nonetheless, you know, late June, most likely July, that that's looking like the time frame for me. I've been really busy this month traveling, doing commentary, cornering fighters, and just everything under the sun that involves the sport. I've been very busy. I've been working hard, but, you know, once I get home from this trip, um, looking to buckle down in the gym, talk to my manager, start to get something figured out, but ready to get to win number five. I feel like I'm one win away from, from getting to what I feel I deserve, in the, and that's a shot at Kamaru Usman or whoever wins the title um, at UFC 261 so or 262. 261? I think it's yeah, one. 261. Yeah. 261, yeah. So I just want – I'm trying to earn my spot as a shot at the title, so – you know, it's looking like I don't have an opponent, but I have a, I have a, I have a general time frame, and I'm eager. I want to bring a belt back to Washington so bad. I want to dra- join the echelon of Demetrius Johnson and Misha Tate. This is the Washington natives that have won UFC titles. Um, I'm just, I feel like I'm one fight away. So this, this will be the biggest fight of my life for sure, and I'm looking forward to it. Whoever it may be, may, uh, best of luck to him. Yeah, well, I, I hope it happened. I think he nailed it with Colby. He's he's embraced the heel, the 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 wrestling heel. Except he's not as clever as Connor and Chael, where there was a, some humor to to what they did. They they could kind of make you smile or make you laugh. And he seems like let me just be offensive. Let me just say the most abrasive, offensive thing I can think of and put that. I just don't think he's yeah. clever enough. He's he's just not quite as smart. But um, hey, no. it, last thing, last thing before I let you go, you brought up commentary. You brought up being an analyst. You do a great job of that. I'm not saying that just because I'm speaking to you. Is that is that something you look at as is it part of your post fight career that you you want to continue with that because it seems like it's very natural for you. Yeah, man. Uh, it's funny you say that because it, it kind of it kind of bugs Dana a little bit that I'm putting a lot putting a lot of emphasis into the broadcasting side of my career right now. But um, it is what I want to do when I'm done fighting. I want to ride this wave as long as I can. You know, I've I've put everything I have into the sport. I didn't go to college. You know, I, I I took a chance, but I knew if I took the chance and committed my life to this sport, that it would pay off no matter what. And um, this is this you know this is my life. So um, I love it, man. I love being a broadcaster. I love getting into this side of the sport. Um, you know, my, one of my biggest inspirations, one of my biggest role models is Daniel Cormier, and I just want to do whatever Daniel Cormier does. That's what I want to do, and I feel like. Part of his success in being a champion uh, involved his 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 time in broadcasting. I think it it, it sharpens your mental tools and and it's it's really helped me a lot in, in terms of how I watch fights and how I break down fighters and even just going into that last fight with Neil Magny, I was able to break down film in a way I never had been able to do before. And I feel like it's helping me a lot. Um, the more you can stay, you can only train so much. You know, there's only so much training you can do in a day. So this is the type of thing that's going to give me mental reps where I'm training outside the gym, if you know what I mean. Yep. So um, I love it, man. I love it. I love doing I, I have a podcast on ESPN. I've been doing analyst work for ESPN. I'm a commentator for LFA, just trying to grow my resume. But 
at the end of the day, I, I need to become a UFC champion. That That's the title I want most. Well, the commentating hurts a lot less, and you don't have to cut any weight. So that's the beauty of that. So you, you, you've got that part of it down, man. It's, uh, it's, 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 very, it's very cool to watch you out there doing your thing in the cage, also as an analyst. And, and man, I'm glad we've finally got a chance to catch up. It's, it's been way too long for a guy from this state. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to sit down and have a conversation, and hopefully we get a chance to do it again. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And just for everybody that's listening, if you have UFC Fight Pass, check out LFA tonight. I think it starts around 5 p.m. West Coast time. But we got an Olympian native. We got a Seattle kid, Jake Sebastian. He's fighting on the main card. He's fighting a really tough guy from the Middle East. Um, and it'll be a fun fight. So you know how us Washingtonians are. When, when our team's up to bat, we support them. So everybody tune in and watch Jake on Fight Pass. There you go. UFC Fight Pass is where you can find it, and you can hear Michael Chiesa with the, with the analysis of what's happening out there in the cage. Michael, thanks again, my friend. Thank you, sir.